But the last few weeks we have looked at um, how love builds in us. As we talk about loving the broken through compassion, which is our theme uh, this year, uh, we've looked at how love builds opportunity and it builds wholeness. Uh, the question I kind of want to look at today is what is the scope of that? I mean, where do we take this, this building of love? Do we, does it stay here in Bowling Green? Does it, does it stay with the folks that we know? Or is there a, a broader scope to this, perhaps, that, that God has in mind? And we can answer that question fairly quickly if we just look at the book of Acts. If you look at the book of Acts, Jesus, before he ascends, says to the disciples, he says, Hey, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in, in all of Jerusalem. In other words, your hometown, your city, the, the, among your people, uh, you're going to be my witnesses into Judea, uh, which is people like you, just on a bigger scale. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria, uh, people that maybe speak the same language but are still kind of uh, maybe culturally separated from you. Uh, and you're also going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses throughout the world is the command here of Christ. That's what he says. Now, in Matthew 28, uh, we also have the Great Commission recorded. Uh, and it's got a few more specific ideas, I think, on how that works. Uh, what does it mean to be a witness uh, in the world? I mean, a witness very simply is somebody that, that points and goes, yeah, that's him. I saw him. That's the guy. Uh, that's what a witness is at sort of its basic level. And that's what we're to do. We're to go around the world and to point to Christ and say, that's him. He's the guy. This is the one that brings salvation and in doing that, we build up the, the kingdom of God uh, as people come to acknowledge the love of Christ uh, and the claim that it has on them. Uh, let's look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 28 uh, to get some more specific ideas. Uh, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, now I just want to look at that first word there. That first word there is, it's a simple word. It says, go. It says, go. Jesus is talking to all these disciples that are gathered around him, and he says, you got to go. You can't fulfill that here. You can't fulfill it in your small group here gathered around me. You can't fulfill it here necessarily in this church. You're not even going to be able to fulfill it in the, in the city because you're going to go and you're going to be a witness to all. So that first word there is go. It's imperative that we understand that there is a command to, to move and to mobilize. Uh, but this task is pretty daunting um, to go into all nations. It sounds difficult doesn't it? I, I think the, the verse I find most encouraging is the last one where Jesus says, I am with you always. I am with you always. You see what Christ is commanding here is he's saying, listen, I want you to build my kingdom with me. I want you to build my kingdom with me. We are building Christ's kingdom with him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but the, the word with, it brings a lot of comfort to me because a lot of times in our mind we'll say, well, we're building Christ's kingdom for him or, or we're doing this for christ or we're doing this to christ but with has a different connotation doesn't it because i can still be alone and do something for christ you know maybe you've felt sort of that that difficult anxiety where you think to yourself i need to do this for christ 
I should go do this for Christ. It's outside of my comfort zone, but I should do this. I I should talk to this person about Jesus, or or I should be engaged in this ministry opportunity. I should do this for Christ. And we think, yeah, this this is good. This is good for me to do this. But there's something really hard to do it because we still feel like we're doing it alone. We still feel like we're doing it alone. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to be with you. He's not asking us to do anything he himself has not done. He's not asking us to do anything that he's not going to do with us. He says, I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to do it with me. I want you to partner with me in this. And there's another thing that that helps with, too. Uh, Do you ever get burnt out doing stuff for people or even for the church? Do you ever have that feeling Maybe it's somebody you know you ought to help, or maybe it's, maybe it's a ministry opportunity, and you're like, you know, I know I should do this. I hate the thought of doing it. I always feel good when I get done. We say that. But I hate the idea of going there. Gosh, I do so much for this person, or I do so much for the church, and I'm tired of doing stuff for the church. Man, that'll wear you out. Even doing stuff for God, you think to yourself, my goodness, how much do I have to do for God? I mean, if, if he's all powerful, why didn't he do some of this stuff? Right? But I'm doing all this stuff for God. I'm never going to do anything for me. But you see, that's, that's, we, got the wrong, we got the wrong preposition there. We're not doing it for him. We're doing it with him. And I'll tell you, that's a whole different attitude, isn't it? You say, all right, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do this with Christ. And the converse is true also, right? You come home. You're not doing that for yourself. You're doing it with Christ. Christ is with you. For, for a while, I was on the Bowling Green uh, amateur tiling circuit. Um, I laid tile in several people's bathrooms. Um, I really kind of hate laying tile. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've done a lot, and I'm, I'm done. I'm tired of it. I, I hung up my wet tile saw. I sold it at a garage. So that way I could say I didn't have one anymore. Um, I'm done with it. You know, I'm kind of done with it, you know, but, but I didn't mind doing it with people. If you called me up and said, Hey, listen, I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars to, to, to tile a four foot square piece in my bathroom. I'd say, no, man, it's just not worth it. But I enjoyed doing it with people. I did enjoy that part coming alongside saying, Hey, we're going to spend the day together. This is something we're going to do. That's really the attitude we need to have when it comes to ministry. That's the the attitude we need to have is we're going to do this with Christ. We're going to do this together. We're not doing it for him. We're not doing it to him. We are doing it with him. And I'll tell you that this is something I'm working on my own life. It is trying to cultivate this awareness that, that I'm doing things with Christ because I am. The question is, am I aware of it? And the answer most frequently is no, but that's something we've got to develop because Christ says, listen, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples of all nations and I'm going to do it with you. And I'll tell you, we need him to do it with us because it's a big job. I mean, if we're going to build locally and globally, uh, we're just going to take some help. How do we do that? Well, Christ says we, we build locally and globally by making disciples. We build with love by making disciples. Now, now Christ says, listen, you've got to go, therefore, into all nations uh, because God's children are found in all nations. You know, God's children don't all look like me, thankfully, and they don't all sound like me and they don't all have my gifts, which is great. Um, they're different and they're diverse and they don't all live near me. Some of them live very, very far away. And Christ says, listen, my vision isn't just that Jerusalem would be saved or Judea would be saved or Samaria would be saved, but that all nations would be saved. And so it's our job to go and to baptize them. 
Christ says. It's our job to help them enter into a saving relationship, enter into the body of Christ. But then verse 20 says we've also got to teach them. You know, it seems that we're satisfied a lot to just baptize people. And then we go, all right, we've added one more, you know, name onto the roster of heaven. Or we get one more nose in the door of the church and one more nickel in the plate. And man, we feel good about that. But that's not what Christ says. He says, listen, I want you to baptize them and then I want you to teach them. I want these to be disciples. I want them to be reproducible disciples. I want these to be disciples that are then going and making disciples. I want these to be people that are living out those four relationships of worship, of fellowship, of of evangelism, of compassion. I want these to be those people. And so once you've baptized them, equip them, train them so that they, they can go out and make disciples. And again, I think partnership is the best picture here. We do this with Christ and we do this with others because we're loving them into a relationship. We're not convincing them of a belief system. We're not working against them. We're not trying to beat them. We're trying to come alongside of them and say, listen, you're not going to realize who you are until you realize who's created you. You're not going to realize what you are capable of until you realize the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. We need to come alongside folks and as a partnership And let me tell you, when the church takes that seriously, uh, the effects will be profound and exponential. Because as we bring more people into partnership with Christ, uh, that's one more person that's going to love the world with compassion. And let me tell you, the church, we're poised to do that. We are poised to love so many broken uh, and and, and hurting places. Uh, Rick Warren has noted and And he's right. He says, the church has more locations than all Walmarts and Starbucks, and I'm going to insert in McDonald's, and everything else combined. It's true. There's not a franchise bigger than God's church. Uh, It has more volunteers. The church was global 200 years before anybody started talking about globalization. Listen, we, we, we understood that the world was a village long before anybody else did. Nothing else has as many people groups, as many languages, as many contacts as the church. And so when we think about loving the world with compassion, if we took this seriously, there there isn't much we couldn't do. For instance, as he was talking with, um, Rick Warren was talking with Bill and Melinda Gates about how are we going to immunize Africa? They were dealing with immunization issues and and distributing medicine for for AIDS that was just kind of wiping out, you know, large groups of people. Uh, they said, all right, well, we need to put this, this drug in the hospitals. And, and so they showed a picture of the hospitals in Africa. And it was like everybody was like within 10, 10 walking days of this. And so it would be great for the people that live there. But what about all these folks that are living out 10 days walking journey? They're not going to be able to make it. Well, they said, well, we've got more clinics. And so they showed the clinics. And that brought it down to about five days walking journey from everybody. And then Rick Warren also had a picture. He said, here's a place we know that a church exists. These are all the places that we know of a church existing. And there wasn't one place that was more than one walking day of the church. You know, what is the solution? It's to equip the church to go out and to do uh, compassionate, uh, loving activities. And what, what people do you want to do it more than those that have said, you know what, I, I've surrendered my life for the purpose of Christ and for the purpose of loving the world in his name. Church, we, we need to build locally and we need to build globally by making disciples. And, and let me tell you, global evangelization is the key to expanding this network, to to bringing help for hurting people. And yet, you know, it seems as we talk about global evangelization, we talk about global missions, it it, it sometimes gets sidetracked because we go, it'd be great for the world to know about Christ, but let's first make sure everybody's got some clean water. Well, that's true. We need to provide clean water. And we can tell them about Christ at the same time. These are not exclusive goals. 
Or, you know, it'd be, yeah, we'd like to evangelize the world, but let's first, you know, give everybody a little bit of basic health education and maybe, you know, eradicate some of these diseases we can get rid of. Yeah, that's great too. But, but let's, let's do those things together. Because let's be honest, the world is not going to greatly improve until Christ returns. The, the, the only fail-safe for certain solution to, to, to the problem of pain and sickness and death in the world is the return of Christ. And so anything we do uh, short of that and prior to that is simply a, a stopgap measure. Because Christ has said, listen, it's going to get worse until it gets better. And he's waiting on us. Let's, let's look over here at Matthew 24, where we see that the message of Christ's kingdom is what brings healing to the world. So we'll pick up here verse 9. Matthew 24, verse 9. It says, then they will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to be death and will be hated by all nations because of my name. Do you know there's more persecution in this last century than there is in all the others? It's true. It's happening. Verse 10, then many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Yeah, we see that happening. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Just think back in the news. I'm sure you can come up with an example. Verse 12, and because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, look at the news. You'll see parents even not loving their children. Verse 14, and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Christ has said, listen, I'm not returning. It's not going to get better until the message of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed throughout the world. It's just not. That's... That's what that verse says. There's a lot of things we don't understand about the end of time. There's a lot of things we don't understand about, about the book of Revelation. Well, actually, we're going to get into that here in, in a few weeks. Um, there's a lot of things we don't understand. But this verse is clear. Christ has said, listen, until the gospel gets proclaimed in all the kingdoms, my kingdom is not coming back. And God is waiting on us as a church to embrace the world with compassion, with a message of Christ's salvation. Peter echoes this in Second Peter chapter 3, where he says, Some of you think God's slow. You think God is slow in fulfilling His promises. He says, but He's not slow. He is waiting so that everybody would have a chance to receive the gospel and that none would perish. You see, Christ is waiting on us to continue and finish and complete the work of taking His message to others. Now, let me tell you that t today, the task of taking the gospel to all nations is, is far from complete. Um, now, I, I know that we, we think about that. We go, well, we've got a missionary in India, or we've got a missionary in China, or we've got a missionary here, we've got a missionary there. But, but I'm going to illustrate this for you. Uh, the sociologists who work with computers and missionaries, uh, they, they have come up with a, what I think is a pretty general category. They say that a, a population is unreached or underreached if less than 2% of them uh, has a, a, a Christians, unless 2% of them are Christians, then we consider that group unreached or underreached, which I think is, was a pretty generous thing. You could probably say, well, 5% would be a little bit better. Well, let's just operate with 2%. If we go with that 2% statistic of people groups, people that are you know, distinct by language and culture, um, not just maybe a political boundary, uh, then we see that of the world's 7 billion people, 2.88 billion, that's close to 3 billion, live in an unreached and underreached region of the world. So that's close to 3 billion 
of 7 billion people live in an unreached or underreached uh, population. I, I want you to think about living in a place where less than 2% of, of the population is Christian. You couldn't find a church, at least not one that's probably run by a native of your own land. So it's maybe somebody that's learned your language but doesn't speak it fluently. Or it's somebody that maybe doesn't fully understand your culture. You're going to have to be working with a missions folk if you can even find that person in your world. You're not going to know about Christ because your parents aren't going to have taught you. You're not going to have seen Billy Graham on some TV special. You're just not going to know. And then once you do know about Christ, who are you going to tell? Because most of the places that don't know about Christ, it's politically uh, inconvenient or it's socially uh, unacceptable for you to convert. And so you've got a really hard road to hoe. So 2% of the population, I think, is the minimum standard. Now let's operate with that minimum standard. Who are we talking about here? I mean, are these small tribes of half-naked people running around in the jungle? Is that... I mean, I know sometimes we think of the unreached people. That's kind of what comes to our mind. These, these aboriginal folks just kind of running around and, and eating, you know, wild nuts and berries and, and animals scurrying around. That's kind of what comes to our mind. I, I want you to know that is not the case. A, a, all of you got a slip in your bulletin. Every bulletin was stuffed with one of these. Find it. Find your slip. Okay, everybody slip. Show it to your neighbor. You'll notice your neighbor's slip is not the same as your slip. Every bulletin has a unique slip. Every picture on here is a person from an unreached or underreached people group. Every slip that you have, hold your slips up. Every slip that you have represents, look around the room. Every slip that you have represents a people group of at least one million people. One million people that is unreached or underreached for Christ. Some of these people groups are as high as 10 million people. Anybody got a 10 million person on yours? Where's this population? Got one, we got two, we got three, we got four, we got five, we've got six, seven populations of over 10 million people that are unreached or underreached for the gospel of Christ. Church, the task is far from complete. This is a testimony to that. Every one of your uh, cards has a picture of somebody from there. If the picture is not available, um, then there's a map of where those folks live. It tells you the language. It tells you the main uh, religion. It tells you if they have any, have any status of the Bible. So, so mine, a population of 4 million, only has the New Testament translated in their language. Don't have the Old Testament. That's it. Church, I, I want you to understand that the, the, the cause of global evangelization is far from being finished. Uh, Most of these cards come from India or China. By by and large, those are the two largest countries that have people groups of of anywhere from 1 to 10 million people that have not been reached for the gospel of Christ. Now, I know when we think about China, you know, it's it's against the law to go as a missionary. That's true. Uh, India is very socially difficult. That's also true. But, but as I was thinking about this this week and praying about this this week, I'll tell you, I don't have a lot of answers for how we solve this problem, but I, I've, got a lot of, I've got a lot of passion for it. I'm interested for us to try to find a way. And how do we as Bowling Green Christian Church, a church that's in a city that doesn't even have a major airport, how do we even reach these folks? Well, as I was, something about India and China struck me. 
And it dawned on me that those are, in fact, and I verified this, are the two largest countries that send exchange students to America. They export their students to come to the United States to get a great education. And then these folks, by and large, go back home and work among their own people. So you want to talk about having a global outreach. What if we all went to China? Boy, that'd be fantastic. We all went to India. Well, that'd be neat, too. What if we just started our backyard and said, you know what? We're going to engage international students. We're going to engage folks that come here. I mean, Western's got this Confucius Institute. I I think that's the right name for it, where folks are coming and studying Chinese and coming over from China. Church, the, the global mission field is in our own backyard. And these are people that speak Punjabi. I, my Punjabi's a little rusty. <laughs> Theirs is probably a lot better than mine. Church, there's lots of ways to come at this. And I think what it really takes is a willingness for us to have a conversation, to start that conversation and to say, you know, we're going to take this seriously. It's an exciting time in my mind for us to consider this because we're, we're right now talking about what are we going to do in the next four to five years of ministry? Maybe God's calling us to engage the world by engaging the people that are here already. I don't know. All I know is that Christ has given us a command. He says, I want you to go into all nations. And until the message of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all those nations, the end is not going to come. So, church, if we want to love the world with compassion, if we want to engage the world with God's love, then we're going to have to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that He has commanded us. And remember that Christ is with us always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that You would guide our thoughts. Lord, I pray that Like my heart, there's at least somebody else here whose heart is stirred by this challenge of reaching the world for you. Lord, Lord, your your vision was so much bigger than our community. It's so much bigger than our country. Lord, it's, it's for the entire world. And Lord, while that seems an impossible task, we know that if we if we would do it with you and that if you would do it with us, as you've already said that you would. That, Lord, it's, it's possible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, that you'd guide our thinking, that you'd move us to action, that we would love the world with your compassion. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.